This episode of Boss Level Podcast is sponsored by Go4. Go4 is making the world a better place by digitalizing it and by renewing our ways of working. Go4 is growing, going international, and always hiring. Great Place to Work has selected Go4 as the best place to work in Finland and the second best place to work in all of Europe. Now that's a pretty sure sign that it is the place to be. At Go4, you get to co-create with amazing people using the latest technologies and work on digital services that have a real impact. The company offers a constantly developing community topped with an engaging culture. So go to go4.com, that's G-O-F-O-R-E.com and check out the latest jobs and news. Now is the perfect time. Welcome to a new episode of Boss Level. Before we get started, I have an update I'd like to share with you. Our company, Tomorrow Labs, was recently handsomely covered in the largest newspaper in Finland, Helsingin Sanomat, for one of the things we've been working on. We're building a digital trading system for the residential real estate market here in Finland. Our solution is based on blockchain technology and we're using smart contracts to make sure that when you buy a house and money is transferred, The ownership and collateral is transferred at the same time. We're working on this together with two of the largest financial groups in Finland, OP and Nordea, and with Finnish government officials. If you want to read the article, the link is in the show notes. The article is only available in Finnish, unfortunately. But it's exciting times for a fairly new company. If you want your share of the excitement, we're looking for an experienced developer to join us. You can find the link to our careers page in the show notes. Okay, but now, time to move to the main thing, the episode we have ahead of us. I'm interviewing Bjarte Bogsnes. Bjarte is one of the key people behind the adaptive management model called Beyond Budgeting. If there's one person you want to learn about Beyond Budgeting from, it's Bjarte. Bjarte works at Statoil. Statoil's annual revenue is in the tens of billions, and they have tens of thousands of employees. They stopped doing budgeting in 2006. Bjarte is one of the key people who have been leading Statoil's journey from traditional corporate budgeting to a completely new management style. Along the way, he's authored books on the things he has learned. What's good to know before we get started is that despite the name, Beyond Budgeting is not only about getting rid of budgeting. It is a completely new approach to management that emphasizes empowerment and adaptivity. Beyond Budgeting's 12 principles cover topics such as purpose, values, transparency, autonomy, targets, and resource allocation. It is much larger than just budgets. But with that in mind, here's my interview with Bjarte. My name is uh, Bjorte Buxnes. I'm uh, based in Statoil, a Norwegian energy company, which you might come back to. I'm a finance guy by education and background, uh, but uh, I've also spent some years working in HR. 
And I've been in different leadership roles for more than 20 years. And I often mention this because it's it's important for my beyond budgeting journey and it's relevant for what beyond budgeting is because beyond budgeting is about so much more than budgets as yes. we will find out today. <laughs> sure. So how did you end up working with budgeting and, and beyond budgeting specifically? Well, it's quite interesting because when I uh, joined Statoil back in the early 80s, uh, there was nothing that should indicate that I should be where I am today. My first management job in Statoil back in 1984 was actually head of the corporate budget department. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I've been heading up more budget processes in, in that job, in our finance manager jobs and in different places in Europe. So it's amazing. But uh, I think the beauty of that is that it gives me a platform for being critical. I've been there, I've done this, and I know the game. Yeah, you know what you're talking about. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Okay, great. So, okay, so you started in Statoil already in the 80s. So that's, <laughs> you've been at the company for quite a while. And then you started with corporate budgeting. But what were your major gripes or what were the things that you felt were not working with the way that corporate budgeting was being done at Statoil? Well, actually, in the beginning, I couldn't see any problems. I thought it was a great process. There was actually a Statoil magazine from, uh, I think it's around 85 or something, an interview with a very young boxness talking about the uh, how fantastic process this is. <laughs> and I hope all copies are, are gone and burnt. <laughs> that's awesome. So, so that's where I'm coming from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So... I guess uh, at that time you were, or let me guess, you were thinking about it, you were just looking at the process and how the process was actually kind of working, but you were looking at it from very internal metrics, like, okay, so the process is working, but is it doing good for the company? Well, <laughs> we didn't think too much about that. Yeah, exactly, exactly. When did you realize that this is something that you need to improve on? Well, it was actually a coincidence because uh, my Beyond Budgeting journey started uh, back in 1994 before there was anything called Beyond Budgeting. And um, I was asked to uh, take up uh, the role of heading up accounting and control uh, taxes and in a petrochemical company called Borealis, which uh, actually started on form together with Finnish Neste. And uh, in this company, we quickly got an opportunity to do something with the budgeting process because uh, that company was doing uh, business process re-engineering, which was the big thing in the 90s. Uh, there's a lot of consultants that have earned a lot of money on, on that <laughs> yes. stuff. But you know, in, in one way, it, it's only common sense, kind of turn every stone and look for a better way. And I was asked to head up something called uh, management effectiveness. Okay. So I went to the CFO that I uh, reported to and asked what he meant and what he expected from me. And uh, he simply said, Bjarte, I expect the unexpected. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and the funny thing was that only some months earlier, we've had uh, a meeting uh, with the finance people across Europe discussing the budget process, trying to improve it. And there was actually a guy saying at that meeting, what if we don't budget at all? And, you know, we kind of looked at the guy and, and thought that maybe he needs a holiday and <laughs> nothing more happened. But when we got that question from the CFO, that thought came back again. And uh, so we went back to the CFO and said, well, you asked for the unexpected and we would like to kick out the budget. Because actually, after having been involved in, in that process for so many years, of course, we had learned that it was a flawed process wasn't very effective, was kind of dysfunctional and gaming and lowballing and, you know, all the gaming and, and all the work. 
So we proposed to the CFO, can we kick out the budget? And uh, he said, well, that's, <laughs> I, that's interesting. Yeah, I would have wanted to be in that meeting when you go to the CFO and I'm like, we want to get rid of budgeting. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, his response was kind of cool, calm and collected. He said, well, that's interesting, but what shall we then do instead? Yeah. And when we admitted that we didn't have a clue, because of course we didn't have a clue, then his um, simple message was, maybe you should go and find out. <laughs> So that's what we did. We went searching for alternatives to budgeting and searching in the 90s. That was not Google. That was talking to people, calling people, going to the library. And mm. um, we couldn't find anything. And we searched and we searched. We discussed and discussed and the months went by. And we were very close to going back to the CFO and say that um, we probably still would need to do budgets in this company before another simple question cracked it all. Again, there was a guy asking, why do we budget? What's the purpose of a budget? And it's a simple question, but a good question that reveals that the budget has different purposes, like target setting, forecasting, resource allocation. And it might sound like a very effective financial kinder egg, kind of all three processes in one number and one process. But that's exactly the problem. These things do not go well together. Right? You have to target setting and forecasting can't be the same number. Ask for a good sales forecast to someone when the guy knows that this will come back to me as a sales target and there's a sales bonus link to hitting this sales target. We know what happens. Or ask someone for a good uh, cost forecast and everybody knows that last year the number was cut with 30%. We know what this does uh, to the numbers and you get the sandbagging, the gaming, the lowballing. So that cracked it all. We realized that we simply need to separate this into three different processes and search for better ways of doing each one. Okay, so you realize that budgeting is actually a collection of different things yeah. that have different goals for what they're trying to achieve. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So that was actually the start of it. And at the time, this was quite uh, kind of budget-focused, quite finance-focused, but that became the start of a journey where everything around people and leadership became bigger and bigger. Because once you have improved, separated the three purposes and start to think about how you can do each one of those in a better way. And also thinking about not just the world out there, but also in the business environments and all the uncertainty, all the VUCA out there, but also people in the organization. Then that, it takes you into great discussions. What is it that really motivates people? Do we need these detailed travel budgets if uh, we say that we trust people? How can we have lean, simple, unbiased forecasting processes without any gaming? So that became the start of a journey that I'm still on because um, in 2002 I returned back to Statoil and uh, we started on a similar process and got uh, executive committee approval in 2005 and uh, we did exactly the same. Uh, it's quite an innocent and logical place to start. It doesn't scare people. Everybody understands with a bit of thinking that there are three purposes and combining them is maybe not that smart. And once you have kind of passed that one, you're on the journey, which means that as we might come back to today, we have a discussion and start about do we need all these targets? So instead of talking about improving targets, you take the fundamental discussion of do we need all these targets? Can we find other ways of creating direction and motivation? Can we find other ways of evaluating people? But uh, we can come back to that. Sure. Great. Uh, you mentioned a couple of times the three different purposes that budgeting has. Can we cover those? What, what are the three different purposes that we have? So we talk first about target setting. Yeah. So budgets are used to set financial targets. It could be sales target, 
targets could be production targets. So that's one purpose. Target setting, yes. Target setting. The other purpose is uh, forecasting. The budget is a kind of forecast of what next year could look like or we think what next year would look like in terms of cash flows, financial capacity. And the third purpose is that the budget is a resource allocation mechanism. Sure. We are handing out back some money to the organization on costs, on investments and so on. And not just, of course, not just one bag, but a lot of small bags containing very specific allocations of funds to very specific purposes. I think it's crazy how deeply embedded the budgeting is within the blueprint of our organizations, how we feel that budgeting is so deeply rooted that it is not possible for you to have an organization that does not do budgeting. Yeah, it's crazy. And it's it's a big paradox as well, because I can hardly think of any process where there is so much frustration around, as you say, I mean, everybody have negative experiences and and, uh, everybody is unhappy with the process, beyond some finance people maybe. At the same time, the big majority of organizations continue doing this this process. Uh, Even if a lot of companies today have embarked on the beyond budgeting journey, we are still a minority compared to the huge number of companies out there. And I've been thinking long and hard about why so much frustration, a wonderful case for change, and still so little change in most organizations. And... uh, I can only find two possible reasons. I mean, one reason can be that managers see that this is a flawed process, but they don't see an alternative. What shall we do instead? Today, a lot of managers actually have heard about an alternative. They have heard about beyond budgeting. But they might regard these problems and the frustration more as uh, irritating itches, not big enough to justify the kind of big change that implementing beyond budgeting is. But they are dead wrong because this is a huge problem, which is also a paradox because think about it. This, we're actually talking quite old management technology here. Budgeting was invented 100 years ago. And maybe, maybe it was management innovation at the time. Maybe it worked well 100 years ago, maybe even 50 years ago. But today, things have changed. Today, this process has become more of a barrier than a support for great performance. And that is a very serious problem. Sure. And I think it's kind of easy to understand that budgeting like a hundred years ago when, when, I mean, the pace of change was so much slower and, and like predicting things was probably in many ways easier because things just didn't change that much within a year. And now with everything being digital and, and a lot of data being very like real time and so on, I think it's very understandable that the processes that we invented a hundred years ago are now no longer the best fit, but it is crazy how still we can't seem to get rid of them or replace them with something new. And that is one dimension when it comes to what has radically changed our business environment. Uh, The other dimension has to do with people because we have different people in our organizations today. When it comes to Education, when it comes to competence and when it comes to what people kind of uh, accept of being kind of uh, exposed to. Uh, So um, that is also a reality we need to take seriously. People in the organization, in addition to our business environment, as, as you described. 
Yeah, that's a really, really good point. Once again, if we think about 100 years ago, I think most of the people in working roles, they didn't have a very high education and, and they didn't know anything about management or how to run the business or anything like that. But I think nowadays, pretty much anyone has the basic understanding of how the business should be managed and so on. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah, that's very interesting. Let's still cover a little about the budgeting. So, because I think you still probably get the question a lot of, of like, okay, so if we get rid of budgeting, then how do we know how much we're going to spend money on certain things? Like, how do you do that if you don't do budgeting? Well, first of all, the nice thing with the separation of the budget purposes is that we can tell scared managers and scared finance people that we still continue to do what the budget tried to do for us, but in much better ways, much more effective ways because we have separated. So when it comes to managing costs, uh, a typical example is to have uh, more of a dynamic resource allocation. Instead of making all decisions in the autumn, the year before, like you do in a budget, which is too early and very often also too high up in organizations. And there's an interesting parallel here to, the, to agile when it comes to continuous delivery. We look upon the annual detailed budget as too big of a batch. So you need more continuous delivery of resources. We are trying to make decisions actually as late as possible. And so at the right time, as late as possible, and also at the right time, which means not everything at the top. And the reason for this, as late as possible, is that then when it comes to Deciding on funding a project, yes or no, the closer to project startup you can make that decision, the better information you have, not just about the project, what's the quality of it and, and, and should we fund it, but also your capacity to undertake that project financially, organizationally. So you have much better information than what you have if you sit in the autumn the year before and kind of make all these decisions way too early. Sure, sure. So actually, instead of getting rid of budgeting, you're actually improving on all of the processes that are kind of included in budgeting. Yeah. Another example is target setting. For instance, if you want to improve targets, we can move into relative targets, where there's no absolute number as a target, but uh, the target of the ambition is to do well against peers in a positive sense, where there's just as much learning as competition, to put it that way. Uh, that's the main financial targets we have in, in Statoil. We don't have any absolute numbers or targets. We have a league table of uh, 11 other energy companies. And our definition of good performance on corporate level is in financial terms to do well against these on a few financial KPIs. Yeah, yeah, and I, actually, I think that's one of the things that Bengt Holmström, the Nobel laureate that I had on the podcast, was also talking about how that's a much better way of measuring companies is using, like, for example, the relative like stock value compared to your competitors instead of using absolute values. Yeah, yeah. that's great. But but it's still important to remember that going beyond budgeting is not dependent on being able to compare yourself with others. It just helps. Sure. But it's absolutely possible to, to start on this journey without being able to do that. And if, even if you can't do it externally, there's probably a lot of internal benchmarking you can do between units that has reasonably uh, similar businesses. And again, 
this stimulus learning and it drives a gentle performance pressure, to put it that way, because nobody likes the big laggards. Sure. But it's really important to have the learning as the main purpose. And then you get that gentle performance push as a kind of nice side effect. But it is a mechanism that must be used with wisdom. If these kind of comparisons, especially internally, are not perceived as fair and relevant, then just forget it. So wisdom is important. Some managers always talk about how it's it's important to create competition within the organization and, and always, like you also, like they emphasize that it just has to be good competition. But I'm not sure like if it's possible to create such good competition or how do you actually like, how do you keep it on the good side? Because I think that could be a very slippery slope. It's a very good question. And I think that you should think carefully what you do on the incentive side. If you take um, uh, Handelsbanken, who's the uh, the Swedish bank that was the pioneer within Beyond Budgeting, started out already in 1970 before there was anything called Beyond Budgeting. They do a lot of internal benchmarking between branches. But again, the learning purpose is very important for them, and that is why they have no individual bonuses. Right? All bonuses, common collective, driven by another comparison, how is Handelsbanken doing versus other banks? which actually gives everybody internally a good reason to try to help, help others. And it seems to work because this bank has been doing fantastic now for close to 50 years. Amazing performance in financial and non-financial terms. Yeah. And I, I think one of the, um, like, once again, arguments that you hear when talking about incentives that are only based on the performance of the company or only based on the performance of your department or something is that that does not act as a motivating factor for an individual within that organization. Do you have any thoughts on that? Oh, yes, I've heard that one. And I want to <laughs> start with challenging, I mean, the whole notion of individual performance. I mean, how individual is really performance today in today's kind of intertwined complex knowledge organizations? I mean, isn't the whole notion of individual performance something more for the ages of the lone ranger kind of riding out at sunset <laughs> and uh, blowing the smoke off his Smith & Wesson after having kicked some ass and sorted everything out himself. I mean, that was the past. Yes. I mean, today, I mean, even for sales, when people said, well, sales is the ultimate long-ranger job. Well, maybe that great sale today was because of great back-office service on that previous sale. Sure. So, I mean, it all hangs together. And I'm a big fan of common collective bonuses. Completely lost my belief in individual bonuses. Uh, I really love that. I mean, you questioning the whole concept of whether there is such a notion of individual performance in the context of knowledge work. That is such a good point. I love that. Yeah. Great. And I think research is pretty clear here. I mean, research says that, yes, it can work if three conditions are in place. I mean, if there is little motivation in the job itself, if it's easy to count and measure, and if quantity is more important than quality, then it might work, Right. So for picking carrots, some simple manual work, maybe, but uh, as you probably know, research goes on and says that when you move into more complex tasks, it is uh, things like mastery, purpose, autonomy and, lead and, and belonging that beats money when it comes to motivation. Yeah, I think Daniel Pink in his in his talk, he, he's, he, he, I love how he talks about if some uh, task needs even rudimentary creativity, then uh, bonuses are going to be a problem. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, before we leave the topic, I think that um, some companies, they kind of mix up the two very different purposes of these bonuses because there is a market reason. 
right? Yep. You have to be competitive and you need to retain people. But that is a very different reason than the other justification for individual bonus, namely motivation, right? And it's the motivation issue I'm challenging. Of course, you have to be able to recruit people, attract people and retain them. But there are many ways of doing that, many non-financial ways. They all take a bit more leadership, yeah. right? Money doesn't take leadership, but um, they yeah. are much more powerful. Yeah, and, and like you were contesting the uh, the concept of individual performance, if that's a thing that even exists anymore. And I also think that like when we talk about motivating other peoples or other people, that also has this idea that it would be possible for someone to actually motivate another person. Whereas I think like even that doesn't really like, it doesn't work that way. Individuals can only motivate themselves. As a leader, as a manager, what you can do is you can create a situation, you can create structures that enable that or help that happen, but you can't actually like really motivate people. I fully agree. And that is one of many reasons why we have abandoned the label performance management in Statoil. We talk about, as you say, enabling performance, developing performance. But the whole notion of managing performance goes back to the the old ways of thinking and, and, and the old uh, environments. And I think, you know, a lot of finance people, HR people, some managers, they love that phrase. It gives them this uh, feeling of control that if we don't manage, there will be no performance, which um, for them, unfortunately, it isn't true. I mean, it's very much of an illusion of control. But it's not bad news because there's so much great stuff we can do when it comes to enabling performance, creating conditions for great performance to take place, including that people can motivate themselves. So let's talk a little more about like the practices and the principles that are within Beyond Budgeting. So what are the other things that we haven't yet talked about that are still part of Beyond Budgeting? Well, as I mentioned, um, you need to reflect on two realities, the world out there, your business environment and your people in the organization. And what you then see and what you believe in, that must drive the design of your management models. So if you believe that there's a lot of volatility, uncertainty, complexity, ambiguity out there, that must have consequences for your management model. And if you believe that most people in your organization is in the camp which Douglas McGregor called Theory Y, the positive view on people, then that must have implications compared to if you mainly believe that most of them is in the X camp, the more negative view on people. So what Beyond Budgeting is doing is to say we need to address both leadership to reflect our view on people and our management processes to reflect the business environment out there in a coherent and consistent way. So there are six principles on leadership and six on management. And on uh, the leadership side, we have already talked about uh, some of the issues uh, uh, around um, values and and, um, transparency, autonomy and uh, trust and so on. And on the management process side, we are having a view on the most important management processes that any executive would need to reflect on the rhythm in your business, how you set targets, how you forecast, how you allocate resources, how you evaluate performance, and how you reward performance. And this is an attempt to create a consistency, a coherence between what we preach on leadership and what we practice 
on management processes. Because in many organizations, you find poisonous gaps between what is said and what is done. Right. Yeah. And uh, my two classical examples on that is that, again, it doesn't help that we, when it comes to leadership, talk loud and warm about how fantastic people we have on board and we would be nothing without you and we, we trust you so much, right? But not that much. Of course, we need detailed travel budgets, right? So you have a management process with exactly the opposite, opposite message exactly. of the exactly. leadership. Or if you uh, talk equally loud and warm on the leadership side about we and us and together and team and everybody in the same boat, and then everything you do on incentives is about individual bonus, right? And, you know, this is hypocrisy. And people note it. And and the words become hollow because the management processes has a different message. Yeah, and I I think it kind of just like adds to the insult when the words are so soft and warm and fuzzy and when the reality just like does not match. I think that whole thing makes it even worse. I mean, the the company would probably be better off if they just said that this is what we're like. We're focused on these things. We're focused on individual performance. We want these things. But it makes it even worse when you're kind of saying the other thing and then doing something completely different. And actually, I think one reason for this serious gap between what is said and what is done in many organizations actually has to do with HR and finance. Two functions that don't communicate very well. They talk a lot about each other, not much (laughs) with each other. And and what they say about each other is not very nice because I've been both places. And they might not be aware of the inconsistency in their messages. But you know, out there in the organization, it hits the same tables and the same teams, right? And people notice, and again, the words become hollow. Yeah, sure. One of the things that I've also noticed with finance and HR departments is that they become too focused on their own value and they lose track of what the business is actually about. So that HR becomes really focused on their own processes and how good they are in implementing and doing those processes. And they start commanding a lot of things that are completely irrelevant to the business, but the HR still feels that they're really important and they look like spend a lot of time and effort making sure that the HR processes are followed where when actually, when you look at it from the business perspective, it's like this adds no value, mm. no value at all. Any thoughts on this? Oh, absolutely. I mean, and you're so right. I mean, it, it reminds me about um, something, uh, Russell Eckhoff, uh, great Great guy. Once said, uh, when he was looking at budget and planning people, he said that it reminded him about an Indian rain dance, where this function seemed more obsessed with the quality of the dance than if it had any impact on the weather. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that's exactly what's happening. (laughs) So there's a lot of rain dancing out there, meaningless rain dancing every year, every year. Yeah, Yeah, but it's, I mean, it's important to be a good dancer. Well, it's more important that it has an impact on the weather. (laughs) Sure. Okay, great. We've touched on the principles a couple of times now. And uh, since there's 12 of them, we probably shouldn't go through each of them. But do you want to pick up some of them that you felt that are most meaningful, maybe, of the 12? Well, if I start on the leadership side, it's it's hard to pick, but uh, you can't get around trust. Sure. Autonomy which is key here. I mean, it's, uh, if you don't trust your organization, then uh, forget about beyond budgeting. It's a whole kind of platform that these principles are standing on. And the sad thing is that, you know, in an organization, when you show trust, the only thing you know for certain is that someone will abuse that trust. 
right? In Statoil, it has happened, it will happen again. And then you're back to leadership and the simple but wrong thing or response that we often see, namely that everybody is put in jail because somebody did something wrong. Yeah. CEO, CFO, this trusting doesn't work. Look what happened here, what happened here. Everybody back to the old process of detailed budgets and command and control and, and, and all that stuff. So easy, you don't even need to talk to people. Uh, the right thing to do is to deal firmly with those instances where trust was abused and let it have the necessary consequences. This is not about being soft. It's about not putting everybody in jail because somebody did something wrong. That's a great point, yes. Okay, so that was from the management process side. So how about... No, the trust is on the leadership side. Uh, yeah. Sorry, sorry, on the leadership side. So yeah. how about what's one of the principles that you want to take out of the uh, management process side? If I can pick two, then the first principle is about uh, rhythm. It's a recommendation about having a business-driven, event-driven rhythm in your management process instead of letting everything circulate around the fiscal year of January to December. That is a rhythm that makes sense, and we have no choice for statutory accounting in Texas and all that stuff, which is about looking backwards. But all the stuff we talk about in Beyond Budgeting, here it's meaningless to organize everything around that rhythm. So more business-driven, more event-driven in your, in your rhythm. The other principle, I, um, uh, and I have touched upon it already, but that is the uh, resource allocation, uh, which we recommend to do more dynamic and continuous instead of doing all of it in an annual stunt. I mention this because of the three budget purposes, target setting, resource allocation and forecasting, it's resource allocation that managers typically struggle the most with. How do you manage cost without a budget? The target setting part, after some time, that kind of runs reasonably well and Forecasting, uh, introducing rolling forecasting or dynamic forecasting as we do in Statoil, is not rocket science, but it seems like it is cost management uh, without budgets that managers struggle the most with. How should we do uh, resource allocation if we don't have a budget? Well, th there are different ways. Um, uh, you have companies out there which uh, actually use one of the leadership principles, transparency as their only control mechanism on cost. I have to tell you about Miles. It's a Norwegian IT company, business in Norway and in India. They have no budgets, no targets, and no cost budgets. So if you work for Miles, you can buy whatever PC you want, as expensive as you want, replace it as often as you want. You can attend whatever seminar, course, training you want, wherever in the world, as often as you want. The only thing Miles require is that when you have returned from that training, when you have bought that PC, you have to post on the internet what you did and the cost of it. So they use transparency as their control mechanism, nothing else. Sure. And they are very happy with it. Actually, the only small concern they have, it's not a big concern, is could it be too effective? Right. Are people buying good enough PCs? Are they taking enough training? I would call that a luxury problem. <laughs> Isn't it nicer to encourage people to buy better pieces, yeah. uh, to take more training instead of banging them on the head with the travel budget and PC budget and say no, no, no? Sure. Yeah. That just reminds me of this discussion that's been ongoing for quite a while where uh, companies in the US, for example, have started giving unlimited vacations. And what that has actually resulted in mm. is that people just don't take vacations at all because it's become uh, an, an unwritten rule that you just don't do vacations then. So I think that 
can be a problem, but I still agree. I mean, it's a very luxury situation where you're actually talking about people being very reasonable with their spending. But obviously, I mean, Miles is a smaller company than, for instance, that also. In our company, we it's, it's also important for us to, to work on that kind of cost-conscious mindset that people kind of ask the right questions when you shall spend money instead of asking, do I have a budget for this? To ask, I mean, is this really necessary? I mean, how much value is it, is it creating? Is this within my execution framework? It's not an anarchy. We have some, there are some boundaries, which I will come back to. So a, a platform of a, a mindset where people care about cost, like they have been able to achieve in, in miles. But for us being bigger, we need something more. And the more we have fall in two categories for big projects and projects for us are building big stuff at sea and we talk often billions of dollars but the process around resource allocation here is very simple principle one the bank is always open you can always forward the project for for approval so there's no pre-allocation detailed pre-allocation in the autumn like in a detailed investment budget principle two whether you get yes yes or no depends on how good your project is and second, can we afford it as things look today? So very organic, continuous, dynamic. It's actually quite easy when you have these distinct decision points and you have clear business cases and so on, a piece of cake. It's a bit more challenging when you move to operating costs, cost, administrative costs, and so on. But we have a solution for this as well. So we don't have, the again, the annual detail pre-allocated budgets here. But there might be a constraint in form of a number. In operate at an activity level, that in money is the equivalent of, of roughly 10 million until something else is decided. It doesn't have to be an annual number, it can be a 12 month average. We can have, we have another alternative that could be unit cost targets. You can spend more if you produce more, spend more if you sell more, and vice versa. Benchmark unit cost targets. Or actually, also an alternative of nothing at all. No budgets, no targets. The only numbers we have are actual cost numbers coming out of the accounting system. And we look at trends, and if it looks okay, we do nothing. If it looks a bit strange, we take a look at it. It might be perfectly okay. It might be a dosis of what we call good cost that brings the cost level up. Good cost is not a problem because good cost creates value. It's the bad cost we want to get rid of. Uh, But again, we might also when we take a look, reveal managers who consciously or unconsciously, as I talked about, have abused the trust that lies in this model. And then it's important to do the right thing and not the wrong thing, not to put everybody in jail because someone did something wrong. Let's then talk about the uh, the benefits of going beyond budgeting and doing that. So let's first just uh, talk a little about Statoil. What do you feel have been the biggest benefits of going beyond budgeting for Statoil? Well, the list is long. Um, let me start one on when it comes to uh, recruitment. Sure. Uh, I think we have built a competitive advantage uh, through our management model. We have quite big operations in the US and we mainly recruit from our competitors. And a number of people want to work for us because they know that we have a more, uh, not just a more uh, agile, but also more values-based people-oriented management model. And uh, in Norway, we've long been the, the, the most popular um, company uh, among graduates. So I think it has given us something on, on, I'm not saying it's only because of beyond budgeting, but I think it's one component. Sure. Another proof, I would argue, of the benefits of this model uh, we got 
in the oil price crash, when the oil price crashed 2014 and 15, we were able to address that situation much faster, much more agile than many of our competitors because when your financial capacity is so radically changed over such a short time, you need to do stuff. You need to postpone things. Uh, you need to try to do things cheaper and, and a lot of things. And our ability to do something with our project portfolio was much better than many of our competitors because most of them have detailed annual investment budgets for these projects. So all their financial resources for projects, investments next year was pre-allocated down to the last penny. So just the exercise of kind of pulling back the money before you can reallocate kind of takes time. So because we don't pre-allocate, I mean, you get money when your project is approved, we could move much faster. And we have very few discussions, if any, about going back. We have a lot of discussions about how, how we can do this, uh, better. this better. Yeah, yeah, yes. sure. yeah. Stathol has been on this journey things since, I think, 2006. 2000, yeah, thereabouts. 2005 and six. Decision was made in 2005. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so quite a while. And you're, of course, you're still improving on it. It's a journey. It's, it's something that like, doesn't happen overnight. And a lot of the things that we've been talking about, they're not minor changes within the organization there are actually huge like changes in thinking that have to happen for this process to actually change and to work better so um what do you feel is the best place to get started with this journey ideally the best place to get started is to start with the 12 principles understand them all wanting them all from day one but that will always be the exception I have worked with companies and CEOs that have been coming from that angle, and it's wonderful. But for most people, being cold on this, the 12 principles are a bit scary. And then our recommendation is often to start with the separation of the budget purposes, which is more narrow, more mechanical, linked to, and it's more linked to the budget, but it's a great way to get started. Because once you have separated and you start on these discussions about how can we improve each process, you are moving into, again, what is it that motivates uh, great people and, and um, do we need these detailed travel budgets if you trust people and, and all these things. So um, most organizations start out with separation. Not all, but, but most. Sure. So when you started the journey at Stadol in 2006, what was your approach to like change management? How were you running the whole thing of making such a big shift within the organization? Well, first of all, I'm sensitive to words, and I also struggle with change management, yes, not just too. performance management. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's quite fascinating how we put management behind all these words to make them more kind of pompous, <laughs> quality management and risk management, performance management and change management. Yeah. But anyway, we did think about change. And actually, at the time, there was actually some kind of change fatigue in the company. That's been a large number of big projects. And, um, you know, they all had kind of big corporate schedules and uh, hordes of consultants and uh, being out in the front line when one project wasn't finished before the next one kind of knocked on your door and seldom coordinated and so on. So again, some cynicisms actually on when it comes to these corporate projects. So we said, let's try to do this in the opposite way on each of those areas where managers are frustrated. So we said, this is not a project, it's something we do. No consultants, we said. 
actually that wasn't a choice at the time because there was no consultants that could help us. Yeah. But I think it helped us that there was no consultants <laughs> and no time schedule. And um, we also had a principle of when it came to going into management teams to coach and, and explain, we talked about pull instead of push, right? So we said, we'll come to you when you call us, when you want us in. But we are not going to put our foot in the door and say we shall because this is decided upstairs. All of this meant that our implementation probably took longer time, probably looked more messy, at least from the outside and maybe from the inside as well. But the change you get is much more sustainable. So I think that was appreciated by the organization that that saw that this was something different. But it has been, as I said, a journey. And it's a journey where you get braver along the way. I'll give you a few examples. So we, we started off in 2005, 2006, and already at that time, we had thoughts about the rhythm kicking out the calendar on top of all the other things. But they actually, we actually said, no, let's wait a bit with that one. It might be too much. We might risk to get a, a no to everything because it's too much. So we, we waited uh, some years. And then after some years, we went back to the executive committee and proposed this. And they were so ready for doing this. We, we got a big green light uh, to do this. Uh, actually, as we walked out the door, one of the executives whispered to us that closer to a standing ovation, you will not come in this room. Right? <laughs> they were so ready yeah. for doing something that would have been scary back in 2005, six. Right? But now they've seen that the other stuff, it worked. Right? Sure. So, which means that today we have opened this discussion about target setting. So we have spent many years now improving the way we set targets. We set much better targets than what we used to do. Much more targets are set by teams themselves instead of coming from above, which makes a big difference. But now we are ready for the next discussion. Can we do, if not without targets, at least with much, much less targets than with what we have today? That discussion would not have been possible five or ten years ago. Yeah. So... Um, and we've also made other decisions on the HR side of this process. We talk about the performance framework is that all, which contains call it the business management part and also the people part. And on the people part, we uh, kicked out performance ratings uh, three weeks ago. I never liked the ratings and I'm very happy. Getting out of the big annual stunts in appraisal process and goal setting process, much more continuous, forward looking and building on people's strengths. Instead of trying to fix people, build on what they are good at. And these are things, yes, it happens on the HR side, but it's exactly the same philosophy as we've had in the other parts of the, the management process. So um, yeah, things are definitely moving in the, in the right direction. Wow, I mean, all of the things that you're uh, describing are like performance appraisals or, are things that, once again, a lot of companies feel that this is the way that you have to kind of do it. Although, I mean, now there's been examples of other like major companies who have kind of realized that this is actually probably not producing good results and there might be other ways of doing this, which is really good. Okay. Yeah, and I love how you were talking about how you started the whole thing and, and it wasn't a project and it wasn't a push. To me, it sounds like, I mean, there was a lot of kind of really fundamental things that you got right with the way that you approached this whole thing and, and how to make the change within the organization. Well, looking back, I think we did. But of course, I mean, we have also made mistakes. We have, we have stumbled, we've had detours. 
I don't want to sit here and present some kind of linear, uh, yeah, linear, <laughs> nice A to B and kind of sunshine story uh, because good. they don't that's, exist. That's and, never true, yeah. No, they don't exist. But I'm really proud of what we have achieved. And uh, even if I still have my bad days, you know, you hear something, you observe something that you think is, oh, no, I mean, I thought we were past that one. For those days, I have two types of medicine, kind of pill boxes. The first pill box uh, and the first pill is about thinking about where were we 10 or 15 years ago or 15 years ago, right? And in that perspective, the improvements and the stuff we have achieved becomes massive, I would argue. And we tend to forget, right? Sure. If that pill doesn't work, I have another one. And that is about the fact that I'm out in a lot of other organizations helping many to get started on on this uh, journey. And um, what I observe in at least some of these organizations is so stone age, so rigid, so command and control that, I mean, you can't believe it. And in that perspective, when I look at where Staton has, uh, has come, I, yeah, that, that also helps. <laughs> yeah. Thanks a lot for your time. I think this was very, very inspirational. And on top of being inspirational, I think there was a lot of concrete tips on how to actually get started on this journey. So thanks a lot for your time. Thank you for listening. If you want to learn more about Beyond Budgeting, go to bbrt.org. At bbrt.org, you can find the 12 principles, you can learn about upcoming events, and all kinds of other information about Beyond Budgeting. If you like this episode, don't forget to share it. And don't go yet. Listen to a message from the people making this podcast possible. This episode of Bossable Podcast is sponsored by Agile 42. Agile 42 challenges, trains, and coaches both small and big organizations to achieve better outcomes and be better prepared for a changing world. Agile 42 helps companies become resilient. It is all about creating a culture of continuous improvement. A culture where people communicate openly where teams collaborate and managers give their employees a lot of autonomy, where people strive for growth. The Agile 42 teams, based in 10 countries, are here to support your business and make the bumps along the way smoother. Go to Agile42.com and start your Agile journey.